Hello and welcome. Um, I'm going to be chatting to you about persistent pain in the performing arts. Um, we're going to look at various things, um, but just uh, before we start, you you may want to do this in pairs or get into small groups. There's there's various things um, that that we're going to do that would be practical if we were together. I'll I'll indicate when to pause, and if you're doing it with someone, um, you could you could have a chat about it. But if you're doing it on your own, that's fine as well. Okay, let's get into it then. Um, I'm also recording this as a as a podcast, so you'll be able to listen to it while you're walking or running or or whatever. Um, so you'll have that audio too on my Encouragers podcast. So just a few declarations. Um, I'm a honorary lecturer at Queen Mary's. I'm on the editorial board for the Physiotherapy Pain Association, uh, trustee for CRPS UK. I co-founded Understand Pain, which is really about helping society understand pain. It'll be more obvious why I do that um, after this talk. And I work clinically um, in London and and online. So that's that's pretty much what I get up to. Um, socially, if you want to share anything while this is going through or afterwards, I'm on Twitter at Pain Physio and Instagram at Pain Coach, if you're into that. And I also like to make acknowledgement to a couple of people who have been great mentors and friends over the years and have, have hugely shaped my thinking and, and what I do. And that's Mike Pegg, who's a pioneer of strengths-based coaching, and Professor Mick Thacker, who some of you may have heard of um, from, from the world of physiotherapy and pain. So just very briefly, my, you know, why am I doing this? Why have I been asked to, to talk about this? Well, I did a talk for BAPAM um, and also Healthy Conservatoires recently, and, um, and that was picked up because for a long time I've worked with people um, from the performing arts sector, whether that be singers, musicians, dancers, um, and so I was invited to give those talks, which I did, talking about some modern ideas in pain and, and my approach, which is pain coaching. Um, and that's led to to giving this uh, this talk, which will probably go on for around 45 minutes, but maybe longer, um, but maybe shorter. We'll see. So I'm a physio. Um, I specialize in pain and um, I have done for, for many years. And I've also had a foot in the world of coaching and, and really brought those things together to look at an, at an approach that would work for people who suffer persistent pain, which is an enormous global problem, which some of you may, may know about affecting millions and millions of people and, and costing billions as well. But the, the suffering is is immeasurable. So there's there's really a lot of work that, that we need to that we need to do about that. So that's that's enough about my background really some of it will come through as I'm as I'm chatting um, I really want this to be useful for you and and practical um, pain coaching is very much about caring for people um, one bit I omitted to mention before was my, my original training was was as a nurse and, um, and and that stuck with me you know that that kind of exposure that kind of work that kind of practice has been hugely influential as well um, and hence I, I think about that a lot I think about the fact that you know we, we're caring for people who are finding themselves in these very difficult situations because of because of persisting pain so we're going to go a little bit into pain um, as well so you can get a deeper knowledge of, of what's being thought about pain at the moment and some ways that that you can help the people that you work with in the performing arts world but it always starts with with us or with you as the clinician or the the therapist. So know thyself. When when I've run some pain coach courses for clinicians, a good third of the day, probably need longer than a day, but a good third of the day has always been on you as the as a clinician. And interestingly, with the feedback, that's always been the bit that that people have found most valuable because it's not really done too much in certainly in physiotherapy which is in rehabilitation which is my background we don't have 
supervision like like there is in some others or, or mentoring like there are in other professions and I, I think we should I mean some seek it out I, I mentor people and I've got mentors so I see a real value in in that so let's um let's begin there and I just want you to think for a moment about your way of, of being and and let's take it in a in a professional sense although of course there is overlap with with how you do things in your in your private life personal life as as well um your way of being with with other people in in situations that you find yourself in in sessions when you're when you're working with with someone so you might like to pause for a moment and and jot down some ideas some some thoughts that come to mind on that don't worry if you're not too sure what i mean by your way of being that that will become clearer as we go through the the talk um but if you have got some ideas just just jot them down we're going to move on straight away we're not going to pause in in the recording the next thing i want you to think about is is your philosophy and a really useful exercise to do is to write down what your philosophy is, your your way. So this ties into the, the previous question where you're starting to think about what you're doing and, and how you do it and why. Your philosophy in 25 words or less. Now, this will definitely require you to, to pause if you're going to do this, because it does take quite a lot of thought. And, and in fact, you you will probably not nail this straight away it's it takes conversation it takes thought it takes reading it takes reflection to really come up with what your philosophy is and and it's interesting because this is really what you push all your decisions through when you're working with someone how you do what you do so really knowing what that is i think is is immensely valuable and it might just be something really really simple like I'm going to do my best to care for the people that I, I work with or I'm going to help them in the best way that I that I can. It can be something as simple as that. And and the language, I always encourage simple, simple language so that it's very clear to yourself what you're what you're doing. And it's private work. You don't need to you don't need to be sharing this with with anyone unless you particularly particularly want to. OK. The next thing I want you to think about your strengths and one way of doing this is to think about when you're at your best when you're in a state of flow perhaps when you lose track of time because you're totally immersed in in what you're doing and again if you try and think about this in a in a clinical situation that, that you're in and then think, well, what kinds of strengths am I using? Maybe it's deep listening or, or maybe empathy or maybe I'm very good at being present in the room with someone. All, all of those are, are really, really useful strengths, by the way, which which you probably have. But you'll have a bunch of others as well. I mean, in fact, you'll you'll have lots. You could you could easily fill a page with with all of your strengths if you stop for a moment and, and think about that. And you don't need to be, um, you know, this is not an ego thing. So in other words, you know, don't be humble. Just think about those strengths that you demonstrate when you're at your best and notice how you feel when you when you write these things down. You could even think of examples of when you were using those strengths and let those images come to mind. And again, feel it, feel it when you do it to make it whole. And, and interestingly, these are the kinds of things that I would actually be doing with a person, also known as a patient, but I like to think of them more as a people than a patient, um, to help them to realise what kinds of resources they have to deal with the challenges that they're, they're dealing with. So we will always think about their strengths and successes that they can build upon and, and that they can use for this particular challenge of dealing with their, dealing with their pain. OK. Your, your picture of success. And again, this is something that very early on we'd be talking about with with the person. We'd be having that conversation about the kinds of results that they want to to achieve. Some people might call them goals. I mean, you can choose your your language. Some people don't like the idea of goals for whatever reason that might might be. 
But um, the picture of success, you know, what is it that, that you want to achieve? And it might be your picture of success from listening to this um, particular presentation. Um, equally, I think a very useful picture of success to know is clinically. Well, how do you want to be in a year, perhaps three years or, or five years? What is it? What is it that you're working towards as a as a clinician? So it might be something fairly short term or it might be something more in the future. But either way, it gives you direction and it allows you to check in and notice whether you're on course or whether you've drifted. And as humans, we we drift, we get distracted, stuff comes up. So we have a yardstick and we have something that we're, we're heading towards. But it's also important to know that you're here and now. So in other words, we don't want to get too lost in just thinking about this future, which is just a thought rather than actually practically, what do I need to do right now to be stepping towards that, that picture of success? And again, very similar or the same actually for the people that we're, we're working with, helping them to be present so that they can make the best decision about what step to take next. Okay, hopefully this is making some, some sense and hopefully it's bringing up some interesting ideas and, and thoughts for you as you're going as you're going through. Now, I always think of us, as I said at the beginning, we're, we're professional carers, we're professional helpers, we're also professional sharers because we share ideas, we share the different practical things that people can do to, to get better or to deal with or, or manage or cope with, with the different situations as they're, as they're coming up. So we're normally very good at that. Although the timing of when we make suggestions um, might need a little refining sometimes. But that, that's for, for later. So we care for other people, but how do we care for ourselves? So I just want you to take a moment to think about how you care for yourself. What are your daily habits that make sure that you look after yourself? And this ties in very much with, with self-compassion. And we know that these things are very important for our health. And we know that these things are important for the longevity of our, our career and, and being able to give to other people. So it has to start with with us. And I think that a lot of people struggle with that. You may or may not, you'll know. But if you do struggle with that for whatever reason, and those reasons are gonna be down to social conditioning, just a way you've been conditioned to think, so not, not your fault. But once you become aware that perhaps you're not looking after yourself in the best way, then you've got the opportunity and, and perhaps even you could say responsibility to do it better so that you can keep caring for other people in the way that you want to. I often reflect as I did at the beginning on, on the people who inspire me and, and encourage me. So sometimes people from the past, sometimes people that have been educators, so maybe teachers at school or relatives, friends, sometimes people we don't even know, we've read their work or we've, we've heard them speak but nonetheless, they inspire us and they give us that that feeling of, of encouragement. They give us that feeling that, that we're important and that we're valued. And that is very, very powerful. And, and actually, this is what we are also trying to deliver. We are looking to inspire and encourage the people that we work with to make better choices, to live their best lives. So we are we are encouragers. But I just want you to pause for a moment and think about one, two, three people who have really inspired you and encouraged you. And again, as you picture them and think about how they made you feel, just notice what it feels like now when you're doing that. Okay, so you've, you've done a fair bit of work. And if you've been pausing as you've been going through, then um, you're, you're probably about half an hour or so into, into this. But if you're just listening, that's cool as well. And the, the final bit of self-reflection that I would like you to think about is your approach to pain. So we're just turning our attention to pain now. Your approach to pain. So when someone comes to you and they start telling their story about being in persistent pain, and usually there's a bunch of other things going on as well. It's pretty unusual for that not to be to be the case. How do you feel? 
How do you feel when that person is starting to tell you about how they feel and all the difficulties that they have? Are you able to stay in the room? Are you able to to be present with them and, and sit with their their suffering? So just think about that for a moment, but then also think about, well, what's your approach? What kinds of things do you do you do? What kinds of things do you say? How do you structure your your sessions? And that will just start to give you an idea as to where you are with pain and particularly persistent pain, which is different to acute pain in, in lots of in lots of ways. And the approach that we take is is different as well. So just take a few moments to to think about that. You'll notice on the slide that um, there's a big mural. Well, it's like a painted sort of murally thing. If you're on the podcast, you can't see it, so you'll have to take my word for it. And, and it says in large letters together. And, and I think that one of the most important things when we're working with people who are suffering is this togetherness. So there's a number of Buddhist principles which I think are very useful to think about. Um, they keep us in touch with the reality of, of life and, and what it's really like. And that's important because our minds drift. So togetherness really ties in with this notion of, of interbeing. So, so we relate to each other. And when you're working with someone with persistent pain, you're going on this journey together. And so this, this sense of, of togetherness and, and sharing this journey together, I think is actually really important. You wouldn't necessarily be saying these kinds of things to people, by the way. It's just the kind of underlying philosophy and, and way of being, which you, know, you may or may not be comfortable with at this particular point in time. And that's fine as well. Okay, so you've done some good work. Um, just take a moment to pause and take a few breaths in and out through your nose, just nice and easy. I like to bring these pauses in. Again, this is a practice that I often encourage people who are suffering to use, just to slow everything down, get the parasympathetic working a little bit, just bring themselves back to the to the present moment. So it's nice to bring these things in too. So just take a couple of breaths. Okay. I'm still here. I hope you are. So let's think about performers. Um, performers come in a variety. Um, so we've got singers, we've got dancers of all the different types, we've got different types of musician playing all these different instruments, getting into different positions, using different body parts. So it's enormously varied. Um, but there does seem to be a problem with persistent pain and performing artists. So I've just got a few a few stats here um, that just demonstrate this. So there was a study done fairly recently looking at the prevalence of chronic pain in orchestra musicians, and they found that 490 out of 740, which works out about 66%, um, were suffering with, with some kind of chronic pain and, and particularly involving parts of the body that they would use for that, that instrument, which, which kind of makes sense. Um, another study in uh, 2020, they highlighted the point that professional dancing is associated with high injury and, and injury rates, but it, that was a fairly small study where they only had 16 people. Nonetheless, it just adds something to the to the overall overall picture. Um, and and another another study where they looked at elite pre-professional ballet dancers, um, some 266, they found the clinical incidence of injury was 1.42 injuries per dancer, and a risk of injury of 76% over a one-year period. So there is something here that needs to be really thought about and addressed. And is the way that it's being done at the moment working? And I think there's a lot of similarities with this and sport, obviously the performance in sport and the predominance of the biomedical model. And, and that's a question to ask yourself, you know, do you come through the biomedical model? Is that the model you're using? Um, or, or perhaps you're, you've moved on to the biopsychosocial model, um, which in theory should account for more of that person's lived experience although in practice is it used in that way and again these are questions to ask yourself 
what model do you use? Because the bottom line here is if someone's explaining to you or talking to you about their lived experience of pain and suffering and your model can't explain it, it's not a problem with the person. It's a problem with the model that you're using. And, and, it, and it's our responsibility as clinicians then to go, OK, well, this model's not fit for purpose. So when it comes to persisting pain, the biomedical model is not fit for purpose. It, it doesn't do the job because, as you'll see, when we come to a little bit more detail around around pain, you know, pain and injury or pain and structure in the body or pain and pathology are really poorly related. And you, you would have seen people, I'm sure, with all your your experience where they are suffering with some kind of pain. They have scans or investigations or whatever, and there's nothing that really explains it. So then they look for something else and something else and something else and, and something else. So there's some fundamental issues there. And so what we need is a much broader model, and we're going to come to that because, fortunately, there is one. So who do you see? And what kinds of things do people present? What kinds of stories do people come and tell you about? So there's going to be acute injuries, of course. They've just done something. Maybe they've just sprained their ankle or had some kind of fall. Then there's going to be recurring injuries. And, and if you're looking at the slides, you'll see I've put injury in, um, in, in inverted commas there, because sometimes people feel that they're recurring, having a recurring injury because they're using pain as a reference point. So, so I've got this pain in, in my hamstring again. I must have re-injured it. But have they? Our job is to try and find out, have they re-injured it? Or is it just another pain experience that needs to be needs to be addressed? That's an important point. And, um, and then persistent pain. So really what we're doing is we're delving into and, and being there to listen to the performer's lived experience. And that's their narrative. So they tell you not, not just about the pain that they're experiencing, but also about how they are and how they feel and what's happening in their world. Not just when they felt whatever they felt, but, but before as well. We need to go back and we need to understand them. If you're working in, a, in an organisation, perhaps, um then you might have a chance to really get to know the people that you're you're working with and that gives you invaluable information about them and their style and their lifestyle how they do things how they think because this is the whole person and we really need to understand the whole person if we're going to help them with their pain so when the pain begins is a really important time for that person because they'll hinge some kind of explanation on it you know was it an injury or was it something that just gradually crept up on them so they they were feeling pain and then it went away and then it came back and, and it's just built up over over time so we need to look at those circumstances or is there some kind of condition underlying condition that can be diagnosed so the the one that pops out here of course is ellers danlos and, and particularly the hypermobility variety which is very very common hypermobility is very common in in performing artists and creative people and sports people so being hypermobile per se not always a problem doesn't have to be a problem so again we need to look at the bigger picture there people sometimes really worry about these diagnoses and and what they what they might mean and our job is to make sense of it for them not in sort of stories they might get off the internet or or somewhere else but but for them their story which is completely unique and it's important to give them that that reassurance okay so pain definitions there's a couple here i'll read them for the purposes of the podcast we've got the international association for the study of pain uh, the revised 2020 version which states that pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotion experience associated with or resembling that associated with actual or potential tissue damage. Okay, that's that's the definition that's that's out there. I've also put up Margot McCaffrey's from 1968. She was a pioneering nurse um, who specialised in pain. And when I trained to be a nurse and was studying pain back then in the early 90s, this was a definition that um, that stood out and and really remains. Uh, for me, a, a really important insight. And, and McCaffrey says, pain, it's, it's whatever the experiencing person says it is, existing whenever and wherever the person says it does. 
So there's an enormous difference between those two um, definitions. And if we're in the room, I'd be asking you to tell me what you thought the difference is. And maybe you've already noticed, maybe maybe you've already picked up on the, the difference between the two. And I'm going to tell you, it's the fact that McCaffrey's is all about the person and their lived experience. And if you bear in mind for a moment that pain is only subjective, there's nothing objective about pain at all. It's a perception. Whereas the IASP definition is really hinged on this fact that there could be actual or potential tissue damage. Now, there doesn't have to be actual potential tissue damage to have pain. So there are some fundamental problems with the definition that's that's being used. Um, the next slide you'll see there, these are the added notes from IASP where they actually do talk about individuals and the person's report um of an experience as as pain but these are in the notes afterwards it's not part of the main definition and i find it very hard to think about any definition that doesn't talk about a person because the person is the bottom line for pain without a person you can't have pain so we do need to be thinking about these things really quite differently pain 22 i.e 2022 where are we well, what we're trying to do is to bring together the person's lived experience, so their first person perspective, what they tell you it's like for them, their description, their narrative, their story that they that they tell you. And we need to be able to explain that. We need to be able to explain and give meaning to the words that they've given to us to try and describe and capture this experience that they're having. But then they've also had tests and there's objective findings and measures and these kinds of things. And then there's the science. There's no, well, I suppose you could say the science of pain. But we need to try and make sense of all of that and put it, bring it together to give it meaning. So we need some kind of bridge, a model to incorporate the first person and the third person perspective. And fortunately now we, we can do that. But notice how other models that have that are used and go back to the biomedical model, which is still the predominant model out there. It doesn't do this. It, it can't do that because essentially you, you're not, the biomedical model is not interested in, in the person and how they feel. It's just about looking for pathology or structural kind of, of explanation, something objective to hinge the experience on. But then if you can't find anything objective, then it's deemed to be, psychological or, or psychosomatic or something like that, which then becomes a really unhelpful and, and, and unfair kind of kind of labeling um, and must be very frustrating for people who, who really are stuck in using that model, trying to help people with with persistent pain. So what is pain then? Well, it's certainly very complex. Um, it's one of the best examples of a, of a conscious experience or a conscious perception. Love could be could be another. So thinking of pain as, as a perception rather than a sensation is really taking you along the right kind of lines, the right kind of kind of thinking. We're also there's also language now using the model predictive coding or predictive processing where it's saying that pain is a prediction. In fact, all of our experiences are predictions, our brain's best guess about what's going on for us right now, based on past experiences that we've we've had. But there's also a weighing up, a weighing up of the past experiences and the context that, that we're in. And there's various things that would influence which way the weighing up would go. Would it go towards pain as a best explanation, even if contextually, i.e. what's going on now, the body and the signals in the body are saying, no, there is no pain. The brain can quite easily dismiss that and still stick with the past experience if if the weighting shifts that way. So there's this kind of stuckness. And um, as, as Mick described it recently, um, he, he talks about pain as an, an evolutionary conserved experience that makes best sense of the current circumstances. So the person's lived experience in their lived world, we can't separate out. Well, think about you through your own eyes, come through your own eyes, study your own experience. Great laboratory we have in ourselves. You can't separate yourself from the world that you're in or, or indeed the society that you that you live in. 
there's there's too much you could call it interaction but it's it's far more involved than that there's there's no real separation there and and there's certainly no separation between body and mind um and that dualist kind of idea that, that again is still in our day-to-day language think about the word or the, the term mental health but there's a body and there's a whole person so just to say it's mental health i think is really really limiting and again you know maybe it's the kind of thinking and language there that's that's holding us up from helping people with their their difficult situations so predictive processing is is a model and there's some um excellent stuff coming out and or, or is out um articles and i'll put those in the resource sheet which um which i'll share with you um so you can have a read and get stuck into those because i'm not going to be going into it in any more detail at the moment um another way to to think about this which which very much um ties in with predictive processing is coming through the lens of inactivism which says that pain is embodied so it's happening in the body even if there's a body part that's missing so phantom limb pain it's still this sense of it's in my body or my body is the source so i think it's important to say that that's another model that's sort of used a lot is this idea that pain is in the brain and people being told pain is in in your brain and again there's fundamental issues with that one because it's not in the brain um you know if, if someone's saying my knee hurts and you're saying yeah but it's in your brain well it's, it's it involves the brain but you need more than a brain to feel pain in your knee um so and it can become very confusing people and and also you've got to wonder you know how if well if it's in my brain how well how do i do anything about that it's, it's in there and then we've got ideas about brain training and, and neuroplasticity i'm going to do this brain training and and tap into my ability to 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 change what's going on but but stuff's changing in the brain all the time anyway neuroplasticity is that change so I think we have to be really careful about some of these terms that are used and these ways that, that things are, are described. Um, so coming back to an activism then, uh, pain is also embedded. So it's embedded within your environment. There's a context, it's embedded within your society and culture feeds into this um, as well. There's some fascinating examples of different cultures and how pain is, is thought about. In some cultures and, and in some philosophies like Buddhism, things like pain and suffering are just deemed part of life. Um, whereas in the West, we think very differently. We, there's a lot of fear involved with, with pain. Um, and that creates its, its, own, its own issues. Because if you accept that pain and suffering is part of life, well, then you can learn ways of dealing with it. Um, and the impact is very, very different if you come through that kind of that kind of lens. But again, no one's fault. No one's chosen to be brought into a particular society, being born into it or conditioned in particular ways. So it's, again, our job to help people to to broaden their thinking. But that's not so easy uh, for a lot of people. They're very stuck or get very it becomes very narrow and, and inflexible. Um, and this seems to be part of this stuckness with pain, but not just pain. Think about depression or anxiety, addiction, this this inflexibility in the systems to to change um, to be able to move forward in a meaningful in a meaningful way. Um, three other aspects of, of an activism. It, pain is enacted. So it's it's in some ways it's something that we do. Um, it's certainly emotive and it's extended. So the, the idea of an extended mind is the mind goes beyond the, the body. So a, a common example used there is the, the phone being a device that's an extension of your, your mind. You don't know your best friend's phone number, but you can access it through your, your device. So your mind um, is, is there. And, and just while I'm talking about the mind there again, I think it's important to declare that, you know, I'm of the view that the mind is is embodied. So the mind is not in the brain or in the head, despite how it feels. You know, our conscious experience is like we're behind the eyes. That's what it's like. Some people would say that's the illusion of consciousness that's that's creating that experience. This is how it appears to us. 
So things appear to us in a particular way, but it's not necessarily exactly what's happening. Um, so in that sense, when we're saying that the mind is embodied, we're talking about the whole person. You are your mind. And so you think with your body or by the fact you have a body which is moving or you're able to do certain things or be skillful in, in certain ways in particular environments. I know that sounds a bit wordy and you might have to re-listen to some of these things. And, and I would certainly encourage you to to read. And again, that's how I put some resources there to read more deeply on these things um, to get a to get a real sense of it. Um, here are some knots as in pain is not so pain is not in the brain we've already said that pain is not in in a body part you feel it in the body but if you think about the biology of pain most of it's not actually where you feel it um pain is not in a receptor or in a nerve and also remember that the nociception and and pain are not the same and they're still used interchangeably quite a lot even in um the academic press so so look out for that that one and there aren't any pain centers there's no pain signals there's no pain messages and no pain nerves there's none of that again just just look out for these things pain is a perception when you remember that you realize that the rest of it makes sense it's the person that feels pain. That's something I, I find myself saying over and over and over. It's the person, the whole person that feels pain. It's, it, you can't reduce it to anything less than that. So it's a person who feels pain, not the body part. And, and I often, if people look quizzically at me, I, I use the example, well, if you're laughing, you're laughing, not your mouth. Or if there's hunger, it's not your stomach that's hungry, it's, it's you the person. And so when we're working with people suffering with persistent pain, we're working with the person. Um, and that way it opens up all sorts of, of opportunities. So, so whilst it's more complex, um, there's, there's far more that we can think about and do. And we'll, we'll be coming to that um, shortly. So the first thing that we can do really is to help the people, the person to, to understand their pain. In, in my view, this is the most important first step. So you might think, well, how do you how do you currently explain pain to people? How do you help them understand their pain? Remember, their pain is unique and actually each pain experience that they have is unique as well. Um, and that's an important point to get over, because quite often, you know, particularly in the early stages of working with someone, they might come in and say, my pain is the same. But actually, it can't be the same because nothing is ever the same. Impermanence, you may have heard of. Nothing can ever be the same because without impermanence, life's not possible. So what's the same is the narrative, the, the story that they're telling themselves. They're getting, they're getting caught up with that. And that's a piece of work in, in itself to, to help them. So helping them understand their pain is about giving some meaning to the narrative and certainly validating them and coming alongside them and making sure that they know that you know that their pain is real. But it's also being shaped by lots of different things that they may not realize. So, for example, their prior experiences, their beliefs, their mood, emotions, the environment they're in, who they're with, where their attention is, what their expectations are, what they're anticipating may happen. All of this is coming together like a crunch, as Mark Miller would say. And, and we feel the, the crunch of all of that stuff together. So our beliefs about pain are playing a big role in the actual experience of pain that we have. And interestingly, and this comes from you know, other, other fields of, of study, but also our beliefs about someone else's pain will also influence that whole process, which is why us as the clinicians, we need to understand pain if we're gonna do this well with, with people. Um, so just a very brief, um, uh, a brief story about how pain coaching came about. So many, many, many years ago, I trained to be a, a cricket coach. And so from then on in, I was coaching in, in different ways. And, and some of it came in the nursing as well. You'll see, if, you're, if you're looking at the slides, you'll also see a few other jobs that I had. Private detective, worked in a sausage factory, but I'm not going to go there right now. Um, 
but the the first healthcare training I had was was as a nurse, and said so that was all about caring. And and I had some amazing experiences, some amazing tutors, um, and I made it my business to go and and spend time in in lots of different departments and get as many experiences as as I could. So that was that was incredible. Um, and then a few other trainings uh, racked up a few a few degrees along the way. Um, and and it sort of culminated in the the pain science and society masters with with Mick at King's, and um, and that kind of took me full circle because I've been looking at pain um, when I was training to be a nurse, working with pain teams and things like that. So that was back in the 90s. So so quite a long time afterwards, it kind of all came back around. And then I was fortunate enough to meet Mike Pegg, um, and and then that just sort of really brought everything together. Um, so around sort of 2005, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe we could use coaching for for pain here in some kind of more specific way. And, and it's really been evolving ever since. And it's always evolving. And so now I would say that, that pain coaching is really just a positive way of being with with people, with a with a person in pain. So it's an umbrella term. And, and anyone can be a pain coach, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you have the right kind of knowledge and skills. It doesn't matter what you've been trained in. You could be a, a doctor, a physio, an osteopath or, or a trainer or, you know, whatever. You you educate yourself properly on, on this stuff and you have the skills to be with someone and to communicate and listen in the way that's, that's necessary to be in the room then you can you can do it so it's a positive approach to to helping and caring people who are suffering where you're very much a guide on the side you're you're an encourager but with lots of good ideas to share about how that person um can shape a positive future and that's really what it's what it's all about so can can you just be what do you, i mean probably the best example of this of course you won't be surprised is, is meditation uh, or mindful type practice it doesn't have to be formal meditation where you're sitting it could be mindful walking or mindful something else but can you be present do you practice being present can you be present in the room with that person that you're you're working with um vital vital skill as far as i'm concerned and, and something that we can keep practicing this is this is you know our own our own pictures of success that we're working on our own skills and our own way of being. So. so the philosophy is that this is caring, but it's also a caring, as in like a calling. Seth Godin, if you're familiar with him, um, he calls it a caring. So this is something that you really care about. This is something that you you really want to do. This is your purpose. And as I said before, you're also sharing. You're sharing your knowledge and, and your wisdom. So not just telling people what to do this isn't about telling people what to do it's about being alongside them and encouraging them and offering suggestions at the right time so so that they're empowered to make the best choices because they've got to do this in their own world and so anything you do in the clinic that's great but they've got to take it home and they've got to do it and we've got to give them the ways and the skills to to do that they've got to know how to implement it so it's not just a case of um giving them a few exercises and things it's giving them the know-how and, and that's important. But we're doing it very much through this person first approach where they have strengths. They've got a positive history that they can draw upon and they're going to make the choices and decisions in their world without you. So they need to become their own their own coaches. We're tapping into their resources, in other words, and their potential. And we all have potential to make things better in our lives. And, uh, you know, we can see it and we need to keep shining the light on those people until they can start to see it and feel it. And, and the and the experiences and the practices that we that we work with them on are really about that. It's about them having better and better experiences where they're building on their strengths and they're, they're increasing their own insights and self-awareness. And I'll often talk to them about peak performance. You know, we can use the skills and habits of peak performers here. And, and so the people we've been that you'll be working with um the um in the performing arts they'll they're going to have some some successful ways of of working of getting into the right kind of mindset getting into the zone perhaps even looking after themselves in in different ways and we need to discover that so that we can we can build on it they'll already be doing some great things and and even if it's really tough for them the fact that they've made it there to to be with you 
is is something to acknowledge and to to recognize so we can help them build their belief in themselves and start to to make a way forward some of the characteristics and and i mean this is just a few uh, there's going to be a lot more, but compassion is going to be in there, of course, and, and empathy being a listener and a guide. You're focused on the person and their strengths, but you're open to learning as well. You're opening to open to learning from that that person. You're encouraging them. You're curious and, and humble. There's no there's no ego. There's no place for ego here. You're passionate. You're able to leave your judgment to to one side or notice when it creeps in there and able to to let it go. You're practical and you have this this beginner's mind. So there's an idea of beginner's mind where, again, you you may be expert in what you do, but you're open. You're open to possibilities. You're open to the fact that the way you think about something right now could need to change. And you embrace that. You embrace the fact that what you know now might be different next week in a year or, or whatever. You're open to to learning. And so the ways that a pain coach would be working, again, listening, lots and lots of listening, happy to have pauses and silences. You're able to sit with that person when they're suffering. You're able to see the needs behind their behavior. So sometimes they might be behaving in particular ways or say particular things. And you need to be able to see that behind that, there's some kind of unmet need that, that needs to be discovered. And you're creating that safe space for them to talk and for them to be and for them to practice things that are going to help them to to move forward um, and to overcome their their pain problem within this trusting relationship that that you that you're building and the ways that that you might bring into those sessions you know might overlap quite a lot with the kinds of private practices that that you have so you might practice mindfulness yourself or focused attention training or some kind of breathing um, technique or your own ways of developing um, your self-awareness and insights. But essentially, the, the way that we're working is to be there so that we can educate, empower, and, and encourage. And, and then we're bringing in these specific knowledge and skills from you know, whatever discipline that you've been, you've been trained in, but you understand pain, and you're coming through it with the latest models of, of pain which can account for the lived experience and the things that we see on the objective measures we're able to communicate and so particularly things like motivation interviewing compassion focused therapy i think are, are great but there's there's other things as well you'll you'll have your own your own interests but essentially as long as it helps you to be there with that person and and they feel safe then then that's that's great um in terms of the coaching, really, it's it's strengths based. So it's coming through the the lens of seeing just like you did earlier on, you thought about your own strengths. So that person's strengths that this is this is taken from from Mike's site. You'll see you can the positive encourager global um, websites. So you can go on there. There's there's lots of um, masses of information on there. It's it's a circular diagram, but it doesn't have to work in this particular way. But as in, you don't have to go round round the circle. But you can just pick out the um, the elements that are important. But it's it's very much led by by clarifying that picture of success first up, and um, and then using your strengths to take steps in that direction to achieve success. But not just at the end. You know, wins along the way, and it's important to be logging those wins along the way. And flipping back to the slide before. You know, we're talking about, you know, all these different ways that we can help people with practices, exercises, strategies, techniques, tools, tips, all of that. Habits of peak performance, all of those things that we can bring on, but also with the, the all important um, know how. So whilst pain coaching might be a, a newish concept or, or language for you, health coaching has been around for a while and, and is really being pushed forward um, in, in the NHS. Although, you know, some of the definitions sort of suggest that it's really about um, helping people to learn rather than, than teaching. And I think we need elements of, of both because I think we're also educating um, and, and enabling people. But <clears throat> there's quite a lot in in behavioral change work that we're doing with people which is why motivational interviewing is is so good 
and and also giving people that that sense of autonomy and, and responsibility, feeling that they're back in the in the driving seat. So there's a there's a framework that we can use here. So initially, when we're starting out, we're going to be gathering these insights into that person's lived experience. You know, what's it like to be them? They've clarified their picture of success, maybe with you or maybe they do that work outside of the, the session. You're addressing all their concerns. So that first time you meet, you're building that, that trusting relationship by asking them, you know, tell me about your concerns. Tell me about any worries you have. And I'll try and help you answer the questions or, or help you understand things to, to deal with and, and directly address them. And so they feel heard. If, if you turn that around and think about what that would be like if it was if it was you and someone was was listening to you and and helping you understand and you felt believed and validated how would that feel i think it's important to switch the tables every now and again and, and think about that and and really we want to give people hope because there is hope um someone might be really stuck with their pain and, and not had much success which is part of the reason why it persists um is is kind of repeated failures to get better or perceived failures to get better and maybe they've had you know a number of treatments before and it's just not not worked out so so trying to help people to have some kind of hope well you can't give them hope per se but you can have conversations where they then feel hopeful and that's great when someone leaves going oh that feels like we're really onto something here that could be that could be useful but equally we need to be clear about what we can and we can't offer so it needs to be realistic um, when you're asking people what they want to achieve and they say I want to be pain free, you've got to clarify really what they what they mean. Pain free is not a good state, as in, you know, we need pain. It's it's an important evolutionary device. Um, what they what they probably mean, and we need to help them to clarify, is that they this particular pain that's that's limiting their life is is what they want to get rid of. Is it realistic that that the first goal should be that to that, that pain's going to go well it'll depend on a whole range of factors so we need to be realistic because helping the person set their expectations at the right level is so so important because if their expectations are at the wrong level then they will have repeated failures and that will just lead to this ongoing sense of sense of stuckness and and through all of this you're you're starting to build that that partnership so you've start you've established this this start point and you're really thinking about what the person can do. So, you know, they might be talking about how difficult it is because of the limitations, but we can switch that around and think, well, what can you do? So say they play a musical instrument and they can't play a full song or a full repertoire or whatever they, they want to be able to do, but they can do it for a certain amount of time. Well, that's where we start. So we help them feel good about what they can do and the fact that if they do it in a particular way, within this program that you're designing with them, then they should be able to, to move forward. And that's what then gives them the hope because they can see that there's practical steps that, that they can that they can take. And you can use prior successes and um, challenges that they've overcome just to fuel that a little bit, but you're tying it in really nicely with, with what matters to them and why, so that they feel that sense of motivation to do those things that, that, they, that they need to do. Going back to what I was saying a little bit before about the, um, you know, they might come along with this pain, but there's a whole bunch of other things that could be going on. So there might be issues with concentration or sleep or relationships or, or other things. There might be other uh, medical complaints. So, you know, classic things that, that can come up, but they, they present with a musculoskeletal. I don't like compartmentalizing it, but I'll just use that term for, for now. They you know, they may have you know an issue with their wrist and hand, for example, and that's why they've come along. Um, but but then they say, well, also I, I tend to get some neck pain and, and I'm getting some headaches, or they might have a history of, of migraines or um, other pains around the body, irritable bowel, you know, sensitive gut. They might be a little allergic to things. They there might be some anxiety and so so bunch of other and and they've seen other people. And and it's still compartmentalized into these little boxes. So we have to join the dots again. That's really where we're we're making sense of the of the narrative, um, and acknowledging all these different things and drawing it together to to help them to to understand. 
then we're looking at helping them to to create this this program and you need they need a structure to their day to do it so this needs some planning and prioritizing and periodizing so call it time management if you like so getting these chunks of time where you're going to bring in things that they have to do but plus their practices plus their rest breaks or recharge breaks so essentially you can create this schedule um this schedule across the day um where they're fitting in all the things that they they really need to do and must do to to be successful but there's some flexibility in there as well so it's not a rigid progressive program that generally doesn't work so well because there's too many circumstances so we need to be able to acknowledge the circumstances and be flexible in in how people go about um their their program and this ties in very much with this this notion of expectations v v reality so we need to try and help them to understand so that their expectations and reality can can more or less match up if they match there's no surprises if the expectations are too high and then reality comes in uh, you know low then that feels bad um and and motivation is affected but but likelihood it also means that that your sense of hope um starts to starts to drop off the, the onward road is one that's that's full of twists and turns and, and ups and downs. And if you if they believe that there's just going to be this linear approach to getting better and there's there's some kind of fix out there or quick fix, then the expectation is out of touch with with reality and that will cause ongoing issues. So we need to help them to to do that overall with what they're trying to achieve, but also um in their their day-to-day practices as well when they're choosing how many reps to do or how long to to do something so it, it needs to be in in alignment that's really important work and and that's where someone is focusing on controlling the controllables we spend a lot of time trying to control things that we we can't control what we can control is our approach our attitude our, our efforts and how flexible we are and, and acknowledging um, that there are always circumstances. So the circumstances today mean that I can do this rather than that. OK, well, that's what I'm going to do, because if I do that, then that's a vote for the version of me that I'm working that I'm working towards. So controlling the controllables is is a really important principle alongside focusing on process over prize. So the prize would be the end result that you you want to achieve. Um, but that comes about because you're creating the conditions for that to happen. You can't just make that happen. You can't just make the pain um, get better. You've got to do things that create the conditions for other states to be to predominate so that you're feeling something else other than pain. Um, so, again, you know, it can sound a bit wordy and it takes some explanation, but this is the reality of, of the situation. So we need to help them to focus on the process over the prize. What is the step to take right now, which is going to take you in that better direction that, that you want to go in? Um, bearing in mind that's that picture of success. OK, so I'm just going to pause there for a moment. To take a breath, so you just take a couple of breaths. This is going on slightly longer than than I anticipated, or than perhaps you anticipated, but um, this is important stuff. Okay, so reconnecting with what matters. If we're in a room together, I'd be saying that uh, you've got three P's and a B, and I'd be asking you what they were. But uh, because we're not in the room, I'm going to tell you. And if you're looking at the picture, you're going to be seeing it anyway. So the things that we want to reconnect with people purpose and planet so if you think about someone who's suffering with persistent pain 
you you often notice that that they might be withdrawing or socially they're not going to class or to training so they they've disconnected somewhat with the people that, that matter and relationships can be under strain as well so reconnecting with people is is a really important thing to do as it is with our purpose so if if you're a professional performer and you're not performing in the way that you you want to um, or you're not performing because you can't then that sense of purpose um, you might be disconnecting with that planet uh, you could also call nature so again if you if you're suffering with pain you may not be going out as much so reconnecting with with the planet and places and nature is is important and then we've got the b the body so that part of me that part of me that that hurts um the 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 painful bits the the bad bits the the injured side you know these terms that we use i always encourage people to to you know straight away refer to left and right or or whatever body part it is rather than that bit um so just starting to connect and then we can do other things to connect um around touch and movement um which uh, which are really important um one of the big themes that that we can work with people on is their sense of well-being and richard davidson in in america has done some brilliant work on on this and has developed something called the healthy mind program they've got an app which is free and you can experience the practices and the teachings and follow your own path it's it's excellent just a few minutes each day and you're working on on the skills of being well now i think there's more than these four but these are the four that he's he's studied um and so you, you can read about his work on his website i've i put the link there richardjdavidson.com but really he's distilled it down to awareness connection insight and purpose so you know being aware being there in the room being present being aware of what's going on is seems to be really important for our health so there's a famous study a, a wandering mind is an unhappy mind so suggesting that the more we can pay attention the the better we feel connection well i was just talking about that in the previous in the previous slide insight into ourselves and our narrative and our thoughts so rather than getting kind of caught up in them we aware that we're just thinking certain things and learning about the way that we we think so the stuff that we think is is often not very helpful so we want to focus on the stuff that's that's most useful not things that are perhaps critical the self-critic might be strong and then the sense of purpose which again i i previously previously mentioned so we've got a practical model here or, or framework that we can use with daily habits. So the types of things that person's going to be doing each day to get better. So some exercises that they might do that are specific, some general things around exercise for other parts of the body that, that are not affected. So all the benefits there around movement, some kind of morning routine, how they manage their activities, and certainly bringing joy and pleasure into, into each day. And if it's around practice uh, for their particular um, art form, then, then as soon as we can, we want little bits of that and then gradually building that up and up and up so that they're reconnecting with that sense of purpose and the things that they, they really, really want to be to be doing so that's one theme and then you've got an overlapping theme which are more skillful responses to those challenging moments which will come there's going to be difficult moments and um, some people might call them flare-ups um, so you need to help them by giving them various techniques and skills so that they can in fact start using those as good learning opportunities they won't necessarily see that uh, or take that view right at the beginning um but as you work with them if they can get to a position of, of realizing that that from kind of a stoic viewpoint the obstacle can be the way or it's an opportunity to get back on track and and learn something and actually if you go through a difficult um time and you feel that you successfully dealt with it well that gives a really good boost in confidence um as well so i'm a firm believer that that we we do get better, we can get better, people can get better. Now it's not easy. I don't think there's anything easy about any of this stuff. And sometimes when you're talking to people, you think, gosh, you know, you, I hope they don't think I'm suggesting it's easy. And I might even say to them, look, I know this is really hard. This is really tough stuff, um, but, but you can. Um, and obviously we're here to be alongside them to help them on that, um, help them on that journey. 
So if we tie that in with the predictive processing notion that the past experiences are playing a really big role in that ongoing feeling of, of pain, we need to be actively creating evidence that we can get better. So that's why you're curating these particular things that they're going to be doing, and especially around stuff to do with performing arts, whether it be, you know, particular dance moves, when I think about a ballet dancer I'm working with, or, or to do with voice or face or body when i think about singers that, that i might work with um, and that would be the same whether it's dystonia which is the other thing that i see or or pain um so we need to work out how we can break these things down into smaller chunks and then and then build them up but they need to acknowledge that they're that they're having some success along the way. So keeping something like a journal, a journal of wins, can be can be really really useful. But the aim is always to have a good experience. So you're working within a window of tolerance, which organically will build if you keep doing that. If you're doing the basics well over and over and over, um, then that will start to grow, and it'll feel right that they can they can increase what they're doing progressively, but not rigidly. There's flexibility in that, as we said before. And they're using these new habits and we help them to form habits and there's particular ways of, of doing that. So setting the bar low and acknowledging the win and, and stacking, those kinds of things are, are important. So we can give them those skills as well. And, and really, they're just taking these daily steps, daily steps towards their, their picture of, of success. And so our sessions with people, we always want them to add value. So, you know, think about how well you plan your sessions with people. I don't necessarily mean, well, I certainly don't mean you thinking about exactly what you're going to be doing with that person. Maybe there's one or two things that you think, yeah, definitely got to be doing that. But but themes that you're going to follow, what kind of themes you're going to go with. But also you're giving them the opportunity to tell you what it is they want to do in that um, in that session. Um, so asking them, are there any particular things that you want to do? Are you any particular concerns or particular challenges at the moment that you want some some ways to to work with? And then importantly, we need to try and end it on a high. So there's the peak end rule. Um, so um, Daniel Kahneman, you, you may have come across this, but we will tend to remember the end as well as the peaks in a session. So you want to try and end on a on a high. So they're taking something away that is going to be you know, really useful for them to be working. So, for instance, I always um, will send a summary, but we'll make sure that we end by focusing on something really positive that they've that they've done um, or, or that they're going to do, even if it's been a really tough emotional session for them, which obviously happens. OK, so you've made it. You made it to the end, um, hopefully. I hope you're still with me. Um, so persisting pain is is a problem in the performing arts. It's a problem in society, but we have got um, some really exciting stuff that's coming out or and, and is out to help us to think about it in in a really useful, practical way to to help people. But really coming through this whole person approach. So I, I hope you've taken that message away. Um, I've probably repeated it enough. And, and so something like pain coaching is a way of, of doing that. And um, if you've got any questions, um, do contact me. Um, there are my details. You can send me an email, richmond at richmondstace.com. Um, or you can come along and follow me on um, Twitter at Pain Physio or Instagram at Pain Coach. Um, I'm largely writing stuff on there about pain and tips and tools, that kind of thing. Um, so do come along and, and see and make your comments. I hope that's useful and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Cheerio.